We've recently done an episode on designing an effective extension program. And as part of that, we talked about the need to understand our target audience. Um, but what does that even mean? And where would we start? Um, in this episode, we're going back to basics and exploring what we can discover about our target audience, often without even needing to uh, speak with them. So Denise, let's start with why it's important to understand our target audience. As enablers of change, if we want to design effective events or interventions, then the more we can customize them to the intended audience, the more effective they'll be. There's the old saying that we need to focus on the WIFM, as people are usually interested to know what's in it for me. This may seem a tad selfish, but it's the way many of us work. We're busy, time-limited people, and we often have to choose between attending one activity and another. We tend to do a mental calculation of the effort that we have to put in compared to the benefit we'll derive. So the more we can specify tangible benefits, the better it's going to be. And how do we do that? By understanding our target audience and knowing what excites them and what their pain points are. The more we know our audience, the better we can create targeted messages that they'll notice and hopefully act upon. So here's five methods we think are useful to better understand our target audience. We're sure there are lots of other ways to do this, but we think this is a good start. Okay, John, so let's begin with the easy ones that don't require too many resources. We could undertake a literature review to see if anyone else has done some research on our target audience. As an example, let's say we're working with some graziers in, in our catchment area in central Queensland. Now, while it might be unlikely that specific research has been done on our actual graziers, um, there are several studies relating to graziers in Queensland, um, in other areas of Australia and New Zealand. Using the synonyms of cattle producer and perhaps farmer can help broaden the scope of a lit review. Uh, some of these studies describe the demographics of the industry, showing their age range, gender balance and education. Others go deeper and identify the barriers to adoption of conservation practices. While many of these are published in scientific journals, some will be in what we call grey literature and are locally published reports. Google Scholar is as good a place as any these days for beginning our literature review. A few years ago, we'd have needed to access the online databases such as Scopus and Web of Science from our institution's library. If you have access to these, then certainly make uh, use of their powerful search algorithms. But uh, don't lose hope if you don't have access to them, as Google Scholar is getting better and better. And don't forget to go through any industry newsletters or magazines, as they can also give us good insights. Once we've got a collection of articles and reports, we need to sift through them and look for relevant information. We could also reach out to some of the authors and ask if they're working on similar projects, but have yet to publish the results. They might be able to suggest other material that we're not aware of too. Some great ideas, John. The next method is observation, where we unobtrusively observe the current behaviours of our target audience. An example is to loiter at a farm supply store to see how farmers engage with the products and the staff there. Are the people shopping the main farmer, their family or their staff? 
what's their age category and their sex? Do they know exactly what they want um, and walk in and ask for it by name? Or do they seek the advice of the staff? While it's tempting to engage with the people and ask them questions, that behaviour is out of bounds at this stage. Save that for the interview stage. This is particularly important if we're involved in a behaviour change program where we're comparing the effects of our intervention with a control group. Other examples are observing who attends local field days or the larger agricultural shows. Observation is one of the less used approaches, but it can provide some really useful insights. And where appropriate, it can be useful to have a small group of independent observers, as that reduces any biases we may have and bring to the situation. The third method is the most common, using a survey, whether that be online, paper-based or by telephone. This is a common way to gather qualitative and quantitative feedback from a group of people in our target audience. Of course, we need to design our survey carefully to ensure we only collect the necessary information and don't include those nice to know questions. Asking too many questions dramatically reduces the number of responses. We also need to be aware of non-response bias, where perhaps only a certain type of people agree to undertake the survey, whilst those that didn't complete it may have a different set of values and motivations. And we'll cover survey design in another episode. Another common method is to use interviews. These can be conducted in person, over the phone, or even during a web meeting. Semi-structured interviews are commonly used where we have our main interview questions worked out in advance, but we also allow some deviation to cover emerging topics of interest. Uh, while interviews provide rich qualitative information, they're generally expensive to conduct and quite time consuming. Uh, again, we need to be aware of non-response bias. The final method to better understand our target audience is to run focus groups. This is where we ask a similar set of questions to different groups of people until no new useful information emerges. During the interview, we start with broad, open questions, and as the process proceeds, we ask more focused, probing questions. We'll often segment our audience into homogenous groups. As an example, let's go back to the graziers we talked about earlier. And let's say we're now working on a national project. We could have a group of female graziers and another one for male graziers to see if they respond to the questions differently. We could also have a group for those with small herds of cattle and compare their responses with those who have large herds. We could also explore those who are established with those who have just started in the industry. We also know that there's a difference between beef production in Northern Australia which tends to have fewer but larger properties, and Southern Australia, which has more but uh, generally smaller properties. So we could include those as two other groups. Designing and conducting focus groups is a whole other episode on its own, which we'll add to the list. Yes, that list is getting quite long, John. <laughs> anyway, any of the methods we've described will be better than us simply trying to guess how our target audience are thinking or feeling about a topic. Assumptions like these can really undermine a good project as it's built on shaky foundations. 
Uh, and that's really our take home message today. Stop assuming and start using some of the methods we've just described to gather actual data about our target audience. Then use that to effectively design our project so that it meets the required objectives. Well, you've heard our thoughts. Now we'd like to hear yours. Add a comment below the blog post and tell us about your experiences with better understanding your target audience, including any tips and further ideas about it. We don't want this just to be a one-way conversation. Join in by sharing your thoughts and ideas with us. Thanks, folks, for joining us on this Enablers of Change episode. And remember to subscribe to our newsletter if you'd like to know when new episodes are available. Um, and if you liked what you've heard, then please tell your friends so that they too can join in the conversation. All the best until we meet again.